physically and gather together, but um, we are thankful that you are with us here, uh, joining us for worship, connecting in God's Word. Um, in case uh, you don't know me, my name is Chris. I'm one of the teaching pastors down here at Rimrock Downtown, um, and I'm glad to be here tonight to share with you from, from God's Word. Um, tonight, we are um, continuing a series that we've been going through um, called Jesus in the Old Testament. And, uh, and I think I, I just want to communicate our intent in this, and I, and I think that Evan would agree with this, that our intent with this series is that we would, uh, as we look at God in the Old Testament, um, that we would see him in the person of Jesus in the New Testament. Um, and that we would, as we see him in the person of Jesus throughout the whole New Testament, and in the apostles and the disciples, that we would know that we could experience him in our lives today. That God is a God who, who wants to be experienced, that he wants to interact with us, that he wants us to interact with him, and that he's the, the same God that he was in the Old Testament, is the same God of the New Testament, and is the same God as today. And it reminds me of the verse in, in Hebrews 13.8 that says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And he's going to be the same God forever and ever. And because of that, here's what that means. That means that we can believe in a God with confidence, in a God who is faithful, who is constant, and who is trustworthy. And that's the truth. It gives us the confidence to believe in a God who's faithful. And so tonight, um, we're going to continue looking at the life of Abraham. Um, Evan shared last week and started kind of down this, this life of Abraham. And so we're going to continue that and look at Abraham's interactions with God and God's interactions with Abraham. And I want to, to stop really quick and just note that it's very important that we hear this message tonight in light of and in context of Evan's message last week. So I encourage you to, to go back and listen to Evan's message last week if you, if you missed it. Um, but we need to, to hear this message in the context of his message last week, the context of that, that Abraham was reckoned righteous because of his faith, that salvation, a right relationship with God, is found in faith and faith alone. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, Paul says it the best, that he says, by grace you have been saved, that Grace means an unmerited favor. We did not earn it. There's nothing we did to earn us being saved. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is, is not of your own doing, but it is a gift of God. Not a result of works so that no one can boast. Okay, you can't come away from that verse feeling like you have to earn your way to God's salvation, to your salvation with God. That it is by grace, through faith, not of your own doing, a gift of God. 
So we have to hear this message in light of that. So tonight, I really want to, we talk, we're talking about faith, and that faith is the thing that, that brings us salvation and into right relationship God, with God. So what does that look like? And practically speaking, what does faith look like? Is faith just some idle belief, or is it tangible? Can faith be tangible and touchable? It actually uh, reminds me of this joke I heard a long time ago. And, and in this joke, there's this guy who lives in, in this three-story house. And all of a sudden, it starts raining and raining harder and harder. And all of a sudden, uh, it's flooding, right? And the house is flooding, and it starts to rise. And so he runs up to his second floor, second story window. And it's rising all the way to the second story window. And all of a sudden, this boat comes riding up to the window. And the boat driver says, hey, hop in. I'll save you. And he said, no thanks. God's going to save me. And the boat driver drives off. And the water keeps rising and rising. And he goes up to the third story uh, window. And another boat driver comes in. And he says, hey, hop in. I'll save you. And he says, no thanks. God's going to save me. And and the boat driver drives off. And the waters keep rising and rising and rising. And he has to climb onto his roof. And so he's on his roof waiting for God to save him. And this helicopter comes down, hovers down, and they say, hop in, we'll save you. And he says, no thanks, God's going to save me. And, and the helicopter flies away, and the waters rise, and he gets swept away and drowns. And he gets to heaven, and he comes before God, and he says, God, what gives? I believed that you were going to save me, and I waited, and I waited. And God says to him, what would you expect? I gave you two boats and a helicopter. Okay? So is faith just this idle waiting, or is it tangible? Can we put something on it? And so tonight, I want to talk about two components of faith that are really, can be really tangible for us. And the first one is obedience. Obedience. And the second one is trusting that God will provide. Trusting in God's provision. Okay? And so as we look at Abraham's life, we will see these things within his faith. We will see these two things. And, and just to recap, God has, has called Abraham to leave his home, to start a new family, and to, out of his family, to make a nation and lead a nation that will be blessed by God, okay? But there's one problem. In order to, you know, Abraham, he's old, okay? His wife is barren and can't have any children, and he doesn't have any children currently, so it's really hard to start a family when you're old and your wife is barren and you don't have any kids, okay? Just really hard. So what is Abraham's solution? His solution is that he believes in God and he has faith. And so fast forward to where we're jumping in, that he has trusted God and now finally he has his promised son, that God promised him a son that this family would come out of. And he finally has this promised son. And we jump into Genesis 22, and we see Abraham's faith 
in his obedience right away. And it says this, that after these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham. And Abraham said, here I am. God said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering one of, on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering, and he arose and he went to the place in which God had told him. Now, the first thing I want to point out is the fact that Abraham was not just sitting idle. He was doing something. He was listening. Abraham was listening for God's voice because when God spoke and when God called to him, Abraham, he responded and he said, here I am. So he was listening and listening is a key part of obedience. We can't obey if we're not listening. In fact, it's so tied together. Obedience and listening is so closely tied together that in Hebrew, it shares the same word. That they use the same word, Shema, for listening and for obeying. As a parent, I started to understand this a little bit better with kids. That when my kids are not doing what I'm telling them to do, when they're not obeying me, I often say these words, you're not listening to me, right? <laughs> How many of us can relate to that? You're not listening to me. You may hear the words that are coming out of my mouth, but you are not listening to me, meaning you're not obeying. And so listening and obeying are tied together. And Abraham right here is shema'ing. He is listening and obeying. Because then it says, God says, take your son and offer him as an offering. And it says that Abraham arose and he went. And the one thing that gets me that that the Bible doesn't expound on, but your mind can go there, is what that night and the several nights after that were like for Abraham. What kind of conversations was he having with God each night? It took him about three nights to get to the place where he was supposed to go up and offer him. What kind of nights and sleepless nights were those wrestling with this call of God? on his life, on his son's life. But nonetheless, Abraham arose and he went to that place that God had told him to go. And so faith is acting and responding to God's word. Okay? It is an action. James says it like this in James 2, verse 20 through 22. He says, do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith 
was completed by his works. You see, faith and action are tied together. That faith moves us to action. I've often heard this likened uh, to the, the, the metaphor of a fireplace and a chimney. That if you have a fireplace in your house and you have a fire blazing in the fireplace, that there will be smoke coming out of the chimney. That from the outside, you can tell that there is a fire on the inside because of the, the smoke that's coming out of the chimney. There is evidence of something, of a fire inside. Okay? And action, our obedience, is evidence of the faith that we have inside. Jesus says it like this in John 14, 15. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. You see, keeping Jesus' commandments is born out of a love for him. That if there is a love for him, you will naturally obey his commandments. You will naturally love him, love God, and love others. John says it in the same book, but John's speaking, and he says it so bluntly in chapter 3, verse 36, saying, Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. This is not a scare tactic. It's logic, okay? That if you believe in the Son, you will have eternal life. But he almost, he connects the belief to the obedience. If you obey the Son, you will see life. If you're not obeying the Son, then the natural consequences will happen. Okay, so, so obedience is acting on what we know to be true. We say that again, that obedience is acting on what we know to be true. Now, I have this, this stool right next to me, and I know that if I sit on this stool, it will hold me. I believe it. With every part of me, I believe that this stool will hold me when I sit on it. But I have not taken any faith in this chair until I actually sit on it, that I have to trust it, that I have to take action to show my faith that I have in the chair. And so right now, I am putting faith in this chair, and it moves beyond just a mere belief that it will hold me up. And it's the same thing with us and God and our faith in God, that to... to exercise our faith, it is putting a trust in him and actually sitting on the chair, so to speak. And so this moves us to the next part of, of Abraham's story, Abraham and Isaac. And as it continues, we see that faith is not just obeying and being obedient, but faith is trusting in God's provision. Okay? And so, as we read, uh, uh, jumping back into Genesis 22, uh, verse 6, 
He says, And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering, and he laid it on Isaac his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they, they went, both of them, together. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, My father! And he said, Here I am, my son. He said, Behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Okay, so here we see that Isaac is not stupid, okay? He's, uh, he's starting to do the math in his head, right? And he's starting to look around and he's saying, I got that, I got that, I don't have that, what's going on, okay? And so he's starting to understand what's going on and, and put two and two together. And even when God's plan doesn't make sense. When God's plan doesn't make sense to us, to Isaac, he shows his faith. Okay? And I think it's very interesting. Um, this might be a sidebar, but I think it's important to note that I think it's interesting that Abraham uh, in this story gets a lot of credit for his faith. He gets, Abraham gets the spotlight for having faith in God, right? But I think it's important to, to point out the faith of Isaac and how much faith Isaac had to have in obedience and in trust of his father. That he was obedient and he trusted his father as his father led him up that hill. Okay? And so we see this, and we see God's providence, and God's provision, and God's sovereignty, as Isaac foreshadows centuries later another son, another one and only son, who will also come and be obedient and trust his father, as he takes the wood on his shoulders, and walks up that hill of Calvary. Do you see it? Do you see the connection? That Jesus was being obedient to his father as he walked up that hill to offer the sacrifice of himself for us all. And so we see that it's God's, God is providing. We see this trust in God, right? And it, I'm sure that for Isaac, just as it was for Jesus, it wasn't an easy task. It wasn't easy to do that. And no one is saying that faith and trusting in God's provision is easy because Jesus himself sat in a garden the night before he was arrested pleading with his father, Father, please take this cup from me. But nonetheless, he said, not my will, but your will be done. He trusted. He was obedient to his father, and he trusted in his provision. And as we read, we see Abraham's response um, to, to Isaac. Isaac's going, what's going on? I trust you. I'm here, but what's going on? 
Where is it? Where is the answer? And it continues to say, Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them, together. And so faith can be confident in God's provision. By faith, we can live with confidence that God will provide for us. Paul speaks about this in Romans 4. He actually comments on Abraham as he speaks. And we need to remember God's promise to Abraham, right? As he's asking Abraham to do these things, we have to remember God made a promise that Abraham's family, his nations, would come out of this son. And we had to remember his promise was made even when Abraham had no kids and a barren wife and was old. And this is what Paul says about Abraham. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No unbelief made him a waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God. You see, the confidence that God will fulfill his promise, the confidence that God is faithful, is trustworthy, is constant, and will provide, was what moved Abraham to be able to, to continue and to, to not waver in his faith, but to give glory to God in it. And so faith is being convinced and convicted or confident that God will provide. Faith is being convinced and confident that God will provide. Here's the question that I want you to ask yourself. Are you convinced that God will provide? I don't know what's going on in everybody's life, but whatever it is, whatever's gone on in the past, whatever's gone on right now, whatever you foresee in the future, are you convinced that God will provide, that he is trustworthy, that he is faithful, that he is constant, that he is a refuge. But my guess is that many of us are not, many times. My guess is that many of us live a life not convinced that God will provide, and we live scared, and we live in fear, and I ask this second question for you to ask yourself, why is it so hard to trust that God will provide? Why is it so hard to trust? You see, I think that for Abraham, I don't know, I can't say if it was easy or hard, but I think that he was able to trust and be convinced because of what God had already done for him that he had made the impossible possible. 
And we need to look at our lives and look around us and see what God has done or what God wants to do if we would only listen to his voice. And we will be convinced that he will provide. Because here's the truth, that we will be obedient when we are confident in God's provision. We will be obedient when we are confident in his provision. Hebrews 10.23 says it like this. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. He who promised is faithful. I want to kind of wrap this up and bring this to a close and ask this question, why don't we have faith? Similar, why is it hard to trust God, but why don't we have faith? Why do we lack faith so many times? Why is it so hard to to have our faith be strengthened? And I think it's because we lack faith because we fear loss. I want us to think about that. We fear loss. What are we afraid to lose? I think we're afraid to lose something or someone. We're afraid of missing out on something. We're afraid of losing control in our life. I think even in this time of, of this social distancing and this quarantine, this pandemic, where, where people are, are slowing down and we say we're, we need to take advantage of this, I think there's even a fear of losing that, of what if I don't take advantage of this? What if, what if I miss something in this? Maybe... We, we've lost our job and we're, we're afraid of losing our house or of, of losing money or whatever it is. We fear loss. You know, it's, it's interesting how God, um, God shows us these things in the most random and, and crazy places. This last week, he showed me this. Um, And none other but a little green man named Yoda as I was watching Star Wars with my family. And I've been watching the Star Wars series with them. And we were uh, watching, uh, I think it was episode three, and Yoda is speaking to Anakin, who, spoiler alert, uh, later becomes Darth Vader. And he's struggling with the suffering. He's struggling with, with pain and with fear of loss in his life. And he's struggling with, do I go to the dark side or not? And, and Yoda looks at him and he says, the fear of loss is a path to the dark side. The fear of loss is a path to the dark side. And I started reflecting on that, as funny as it may be, uh, words from Master Yoda, that we fear loss. And when we do, it leads us into a dark place. 
And it really is just an echo of Jesus' words when he says, For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. You see, if we're afraid to lose our life, we will grab onto it, and we will try to grasp and cling onto it, and we will end up losing it. But if we're willing to lose our life, we will end up finding it and saving it. Here's a final question that I encourage you guys to really talk about with whoever you're with right after this. Just ask this question. It's a good even question to sit around the dinner table and talk about and open up. That what are we afraid to lose that keeps us from trusting God? What is it in our life personally what do you think we're afraid to lose that keeps us from listening, that keeps us from being obedient, and keeps us from trusting and being confident in God's provision? Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. You are constant. You are faithful. And I pray that you would strengthen and renew our faith tonight. That you would give us a confidence by knowing everything you've done for us. By knowing your faithfulness, that you would give us a confidence to trust you and to walk in obedience with you. So Jesus, this week, uh, may your Holy Spirit uh, may we experience your Holy Spirit, and may it guide us and strengthen us into your will. In Jesus' name, amen.